acts of redemption reflect who God is, for God is the great Redeemer. Growing up, I had more than one friend involved in musical theater. I remember getting to see him and others put on a production of, of Les Miserables, youth production, based on the classic book by Victor Hugo. So this is historical setting is the events leading up to the French Revolution. In the beginning of the musical, we're introduced to the character of Jean Valjean. After spending years in prison and in forced labor for stealing a, a loaf of bread. He's finally released, but he's also made to, to carry this, this paper around with him to show to anyone that he's an ex-convict. Now, no one will hire an ex-convict. No one will take in an ex-convict. No one shows friendliness to Jean Valjean until he comes to the house of a bishop. So this bishop opens his home to the recently released convict, feeds him a hearty supper, and offers him a place to stay for the night. But that's not enough to change Jean Valjean's heart. He wakes up in the middle of the night, goes into the bishop's bedroom, steals the silver, and runs off. But while escaping, Jean Valjean is caught by the police, who bring him back to the bishop. He lies to the police, saying the silver was a gift. The police could see through this lie as he's, well, running around the middle of the night with silver. But the police, when they bring him back, are in for a surprise because the bishop says that, no, what Jean Valjean has spoken is true. It was a gift. And then he asks Jean Valjean how he could forget the best part grabs two more silver candlesticks and gives them to Jean Valjean. Then the bishop summoned the policemen off, commending them for their duty. Once the policemen have left, the bishop looks at Jean Valjean and says, and remember this, my brother, see in this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood. God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God. Now for the rest of the musical, Jean Valjean has the sense that his soul is no longer his, but it has been bought. In giving him this silver, the, the bishop released Jean Valjean from the certainty of a life sentence in prison. In a sense, he had bought him out of prison. There's another word that would fit well here in considering being bought out of prison or bought out of slavery, and that's the word redeem. We've encountered the word redeem earlier in the book of Ruth more than once. It's been a few weeks now since we've been in the book of Ruth. If you have your, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. You can also find it printed in your bulletin. The original plan was 
to finish preaching the book of Ruth before our, our baby was born. The original plan didn't have me sick in the hospital on the Sunday I was be preaching this passage. But as we see throughout the whole book of Ruth, God is in control of all things, and God is good. God has shown his faithfulness to our family. He's used the kindness of many of you in the process as well. So back to the book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3, Ruth had asked Boaz if he would redeem her. Boaz tells her he is willing, but there's a kinsman redeemer who is closer in line. Chapter 3 ends with Ruth going back to Naomi and Naomi telling Ruth, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Naomi knows that Boaz will settle the matter right away, and as we see from the beginning of chapter 4, Naomi is right. We'll soon find out who will act as Ruth's redeemer. Before we jump into the text, I'd like to introduce a main point for us to consider this morning, and that's this. Acts of redemption reflect who God is, for God is the great Redeemer. Acts of redemption reflect who God is, for God is the great Redeemer. Hopefully this main point can act like an umbrella over two subpoints. Each point is one story in the bigger story. The first point is a story of redemption done, verses 1 to 12. The second point is a story of redemption to come, verses 13 to 22. So let's begin with the first point, a story of redemption done. Please follow along as I read. Ruth 4, verses 1 to 12. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. 
So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Limelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephratah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Do you remember the significance of names in the book of Ruth? For example, Naomi's name meaning pleasant, Elimelech's name meaning my God is king, and Bethlehem meaning house of bread. Here we're introduced to a new character. This character is never given a name. He's simply called the Redeemer. Now hold, hold that thought for a minute. In a book in which names are so significant, why would the narrator not give this man's name? Boaz is waiting at the gate of the city where official business is done. He tells the Redeemer without a name to come and sit down. Boaz also gathered ten men of the elders of the city to be witnesses. One commentator writes that the elders of Bethlehem represented the entire town. They were the community's authoritative body involved in governing, judging, advising, and dealing with outsiders. So these ten elders represented a legal assembly. So this man comes by. Boaz perhaps greets this relative by name, but it appears the narrator is taking extra efforts to leave this kinsman nameless. In fact, there's a, a rhyming phrase that the narrator uses, something like Almoni in place of a name, almost like saying Mr. So-and-so. And then Boaz tells the Redeemer about this opportunity to buy land. It may be more accurate to think of this as a transfer to the right of usage of the land than buying the land in a way that we think of buying land. Ultimately, Israel understood that God owns all the land of Israel. And God apportioned the land of Israel to provide for tribes, clans, and families in Israel. Transferring the right to Naomi's land to the nearest kinsman would keep the land in the same clan. Naomi then could take the proceeds from the sale and continue to provide for herself and for Ruth. Boaz explains the basics and the Redeemer says he will redeem it. One can imagine this relative thinking, oh, oh this is a, a good real estate opportunity. Although there was an amount that would have to be paid to Naomi, there would be the added responsibility of providing materially for Naomi, the fruit of the land would be more than enough to offset the costs. And then the year of Jubilee, uh, when the year of Jubilee comes and lands are supposed to be returned to their original owners, if Naomi had no descendants, well, then the land could just stay in this, its nearest relatives' uh, Part of his property and it could be part of his children's inheritance so thinking through this cost-benefit analysis this redeemer says oh yeah 
I'll redeem it. But Boaz had waited to tell the Redeemer one thing. Boaz will not make it as simple as he originally thought. Verses 5 and 6 read, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. From reading chapter 3, we might have expected Boaz to bring Ruth up earlier. But here in verses 5 and 6 is when Boaz introduces to the nearest Redeemer the responsibility to care for Ruth and the family name. Here Boaz directly connects the buying of the land with the acquiring of Ruth the Moabite as a wife in order to keep on the name of the dead. Now there's no clear law in the New Testament uh, in the Old Testament that would connect these two things. But in Boaz's understanding of the responsibility of a kinsman redeemer, he connects the redemption of the land and the redemption of Ruth. Boaz began with the land issue first, and then Boaz expands on the responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer to apply to what is called leveret marriage. You may remember that in the Bible, God's means of providing of a widow was that the brother of the deceased husband was meant to marry and care for the widow of his brother. Naomi hinted at this law in chapter 1, when she bluntly told her daughters-in-law that there would be no way for her to have sons that could marry them in the future. But Boaz is not simply applying this law to brothers. He's expanding it to the closest male relative. Boaz and the nameless redeemer were not brothers of Malon and Kilion, and so not required by law to care for the widow Ruth through marriage. But Boaz applies the heart behind God's care for widows and for the family name to continue in this situation. So Boaz tells the nameless redeemer that on the day he buys this field, he'll also have a wedding. And the nameless redeemer backs off. Why would this Redeemer change his mind so quickly? At first, buying the land seemed like a good investment because Naomi had, partly because Naomi had no children. When Naomi died, the land would continue to belong to the Redeemer who bought the land. But Boaz leaves out the twist in this land sale, and that's Ruth. You don't simply buy the land, you acquire the, a wife. And the reason for acquiring the wife is so that she could have children in order to perpetuate the name of the dead. The land that Naomi is selling is meant to stay in the family of Elimelech, is meant to continue to be the land of Naomi's husband's offspring. And so if the Redeemer buys the land and has a child with Ruth, the child, Malon's child, will inherit the land back. A golden real estate opportunity all of a sudden became were messy. In other words, the Redeemer was being asked to do something that probably would not benefit him financially. The land would simply go back to the family of Elimelech and Malon. And so this nameless Redeemer, it's almost like we're meant to read the Bible and, and think, oh yeah, yeah, what's his name? He was the guy who missed out on marrying Ruth. But he's ironically concerned 
that acting as a redeemer will hurt his own name, will hurt his own inheritance. From a business side of things, what he does seems reasonable. But the book of Ruth continues to contrast things done that seem reasonable with extraordinary kindness done. Orpah leaving Naomi and going back to her land was a seemingly very reasonable choice. And this man who could have redeemed Ruth is doing what seems like a reasonable choice for his family. But he's missing out on showing the kindness that God desires of his people. And so now back to Boaz. He has no more obstacles before him to marry Ruth. In verse 7, we have a sandal exchange. Several weeks ago, when I was first beginning to preach through Ruth, I had lunch with William, and he asked me, like, oh, you got to figure out what's going on with those sandals. And sorry, but I, I really haven't figured out what's going on with those sandals. <laughs> but we're in good company, because the first readers of Ruth didn't really know what was going on as well. That's why there had to be like one sentence to explain it, right? We also haven't found anything outside of the Bible in ancient history um, in regards to using sandals in legal transactions. The, the one helpful thought uh, that I read that's interesting, but I don't, I don't know if it relates, is just how the foot could be a symbol of power and authority. So maybe that's tied to the sandal, but I don't, I don't really know. So one more detail in the Bible you can wonder about. After the sandal exchange, Boaz announces to the elders and to all the people that they're witnesses of what has happened. Boaz wants there to be no question about it. Boaz has bought the land and acquired Ruth to be his wife in order to perpetuate the name of the dead so that the name of the dead would not be cut off at the gate. In other words, Boaz wants the offspring of Elimelech to still have a name in this clan. Boaz wants the offspring of Limelech still to be represented. Boaz wants to continue in the spirit of leverant marriage and provide children for the dead. And so Boaz and Ruth's love story doesn't begin and end with mutual attraction, personality tests, and favorite hobbies. It begins and ends with seeking to honor God's law. Boaz sees his responsibility as kinsman redeemer and takes it absolutely seriously. Ruth takes on a role as Naomi's daughter-in-law and instead of distancing herself from Naomi, tries to find a way to provide for Naomi and to continue the name of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Ruth could have just left Naomi out of it, run off with a young Israelite man, but that would not be fitting with Ruth's character. Boaz and Ruth's love story is one in which a worthy man and a worthy woman seek to honor God's law first and seek to care for their vulnerable relative, Naomi. And as they do so, they can see what a good match it would be. Look again at verses 9 and 10. Here Boaz proclaims to the crowd that they are witnesses. Boaz wants there to be no question in anyone's mind of what has happened today. Boaz has acquired what had belonged to Elimelech, and Boaz has acquired Ruth to be his wife. Brothers and sisters, let's stop for a moment and consider what it looks like for us to 
to follow the spirit of God's law in the way that Boaz did? What would it look like to show kindness and generosity in this way? And notice as well that this is what Boaz wants to do. Boaz wants to marry Ruth because Ruth is a worthy woman. Boaz doesn't mind that their first son will carry on Ruth's former husband's name. Boaz is not worrying about whether or not Ruth will be able to bear children after not being after not bearing children when she was married to her first husband. Boaz is honored that Ruth would be happy to have him as her husband. Brothers and sisters, as we grow to be more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus will become more and more appealing. What seemed reasonable to us before we were Christians will seem less and less reasonable. Why? money when we can be generous? Why continue in such and such a sin when God called us to holiness? Why engage in foolish talk or coarse joking when we have opportunities to use our words to build one another up in the faith? May God continue to change us to value what is truly good, just as Boaz and Ruth valued finding a God-fearing spouse and caring for their relative, Naomi. The crowd watching is in wholehearted support of Boaz's act of redemption, and they pronounce a blessing in three parts. They pronounce a blessing for Boaz's wife, that she be like Rachel and Leah, the matriarchs of the house of Israel. They pronounce a blessing on Boaz's reputation, saying that he should be renowned in Bethlehem. And finally, they pronounce a blessing on Boaz's house, that it be like the house of Perez, the ancestor of a prominent clan in the tribe of Judah. Elimelech, Boaz, and most of those in the crowd would have been descendants of Perez. In the time of the judges, there was still enough God-fearers to applaud an act of kindness in the town of Bethlehem. And the blessings that the crowd pronounced would be fulfilled in ways that would exceed anything anyone in the crowd could have imagined. That brings us to the end of point one, a story of redemption done. Boaz's act of redemption was God's gracious provision for Ruth and Naomi. But our story isn't over yet, so we come to point two, a story of redemption to come. Look with me at verses 13 to 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. 
Do you remember how the book of Ruth began? It began with three husbands dying and leaving behind three widows. In verse 13, we have a wedding and we have a son born. The God who had not provided a son to Ruth during the time of her first marriage now blesses her with a son. The Lord is behind the scenes throughout the whole book of Ruth, but here in verse 13, the Lord is mentioned as directly acting. It's the Lord that gives Ruth conception. It's the Lord that opens Ruth's womb to bless her with a son. In chapter 1, the Lord begins to show his mercy by visiting his people and giving them food. By chapter 4, the Lord has already shown blessing after blessing to Ruth and Naomi and blesses Ruth with a son. But notice that as important as Ruth is to this story, the spotlight doesn't stay on Ruth, but it shifts back to Naomi. The son is ultimately God's provision for Naomi. Yes, Boaz was the redeemer of Ruth and Naomi, but here we have a baby who will act as Naomi's future redeemer. The woman of Israel praise the Lord and speak of this baby, saying that he will be a restorer of life and a nourisher of Naomi in her old age. Chapter 1 began with the woman of the town saying, Is this Naomi? And Naomi's proclamation of her bitterness and emptiness at the hands of God. Chapter 4 has the woman of the town proclaiming blessing and praise of God. In chapter 1, Naomi returns, making no mention of her daughter-in-law coming back with her. In chapter 4, the woman of the town speak of Naomi's daughter-in-law being more to Naomi than seven sons. Notice as well that the reason the woman of the neighborhood have such high expectations for, for Obed is because Ruth has given birth to him. Ruth, who loves Naomi, has given birth to a son, so they have good reason to expect that just as Ruth cared well for Naomi, the son born of Ruth's womb will care well for Naomi. Naomi would have a special relationship with this child, acting as the child's nurse. Perhaps some of you are very close to one of your grandmothers. I imagine this little boy could relate to you. Notice as well that It's not the parents who give this child a name, but it's the woman of the neighborhood who named this child. They name him Obed. Obed literally means one who works, serves. It's likely that the woman of the neighborhood were thinking of how Obed would serve Naomi as he grew older. Already we have blessing after blessing for Naomi, but this still isn't the end of the story. The second half of verse 17 says they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then look again at verses 18 to 22. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Verses 18 and 20 to 22 summarizes a genealogy that mentions some of the more important people in the list. Perez is the father of this clan, and Hezron are, are both mentioned in Genesis chapter 46. There would be some gaps in this genealogy going from the time of Genesis to the time of Boaz. 
Boaz is the seventh name mentioned, giving him a place of honor. But what is highlighted the most in verse 17 and then in verse 22 is that Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The book of Ruth helps us see God's hand behind lists of names that sometimes we have a hard time pronouncing. The book of Ruth is not only a, a story of how God would redeem two poor widows. The book of Ruth is part of God's redemptive plan for his people, Israel. Instead of a clan becoming extinct, the book of Ruth is the unlikely story of the clan from which Israel's greatest king, David, would come. The book of Ruth is full of divine coincidences that are not coincidences at all. It just so happened that Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Not only was there redemption to come in how Obed would care for Naomi, there was redemption to come in how God would use David to stand for Israel. But the ultimate redemption to come is in how the story of Ruth fits in the story that leads to Jesus. The very first verse in Matthew chapter 1 begins with the words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the book of Ruth, we zoom in on one little bit of the genealogy of Jesus. The second half of Matthew 1 verse 5 sounds familiar. We read, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Any Israelite reading the book of Ruth in the time of the Old Testament would have been amazed by how the story of how David's grandfather Obed was born. But any Christian reading the book of Ruth today should be even more amazed by the story of how not only David's grandfather was born, but of how Jesus is David's greater son. And Jesus, David's greater son, came to redeem. Pastor Ligon Duncan, in an essay he wrote for the Gospel Coalition, wrote a helpful definition of redemption, saying, Redemption means to secure the release or recovery of persons or things by the payment of a price. That is what we saw Boaz do. Boaz redeemed two widows in need of help. There was a price that had to be paid that he was happy to pay. But Boaz's act of redemption is just a hint of a future, much greater act of redemption. Friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian today, you need to be saved. You need to be brought, bought out of slavery to your sin. You might not think of yourself as a slave, that's what the Bible teaches about your spiritual state. Your life is messed up in a way that you have no power to fix. You want to do wrong, you have no ability by yourself to change your desires. But Jesus completed an act of redemption in order to buy you out of your slavery. Jesus paid for your sins with his own blood at the cross. In the supreme act of kindness, Jesus took the punishment you deserved. He took on our sins and he bore them on himself. God's wrath was poured on Jesus because of our sins. 
So Jesus died on that cross, but three days later he rose again from the dead, displaying victory over death, displaying that the redemptive work on the cross was accepted. In this way, Jesus has made a way for you to be set free from your slavery to sin if you turn from your sins and believe in him. If you want to talk more about this, I'll be happy to talk more with you after the service. And, and so would other members here as well. And for those of us who are Christians, let us never grow tired of remembering Christ's great work of redemption. Let us never grow tired of remembering how Jesus the King humbled himself and died in our place. Let us never grow tired of meditating on these truths, singing these truths, proclaiming these truths. And let's not simply glaze over genealogies in the Bible, but let's remember that behind those names is God's powerful hand at work in history, put into action his great plan to redeem people. Let's remember what it means to be redeemed as well. It means we were bought with the blood of Jesus. It means we're no longer slaves to sin, but are servants of Jesus. It means that we're not our own. Our bodies are not our own. Our, our time is not our own. Our money and possessions are not our own. Our lives are not our own. We belong to Jesus. So let live lives that honor Jesus. Let's display the, the kindness of Jesus in our lives. Let's reflect to the world God's love for us by our love for one another. There are many more stories behind the names of those in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. Like a patchwork quilt with the story of Ruth, we're given one beautiful patch, but ultimately we need the, the whole story of the Bible to see in vivid color how God will send his son to earth when the fullness of time had come. If we only had King David, King David's story doesn't end well. The King David points us ahead to Jesus, the King, who would be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the city of David. Threaded through the story of Ruth are, are these multiple themes, God's kindness and redemption displayed through ordinary God followers. Because of who God is, these acts of kindness and redemption reflect something of who God is. Another theme we have run into again and again in the book of Ruth is God is orchestrated behind the scenes for the good of his people. Not only is he orchestrating events for the good of two widows, but he's using their lives to bless a whole nation, and ultimately the whole world. Some of you still may be living in seasons that feel like Ruth chapter 1. Bitter or hopeless or empty, not seeing a way out. But we worship the God who, even when life feels like Ruth chapter 1, has already orchestrated Ruth chapter 4. And not just Ruth chapter 4, but the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, leading to Jesus. The God who orchestrated history in this way can be trusted when he says that Jesus will one day return to judge. And for us as believers, we still have the joy of living with him forever. So brothers and sisters, our bitterness can turn to joy our hopelessness can turn to hope. Our emptiness can turn to fullness. Not because of what we have done. Naomi clung 
to faith by a thread and did very little in the story before receiving these abundant blessings. It's all what God has done. It's all what Christ has done. So truths can be truths stated, but they also can be truths that are displayed in a story. The true story of Ruth develops and shows God's faithfulness. The true story of Ruth shows why God is worthy of your trust. The true story of Ruth points ahead to the Redeemer who is worthy of your trust. So even if your faith is like Naomi's at the beginning of the book, don't stop trusting in who God is and what God has promised. Perhaps there are those of you like Naomi in this room who are suffering, perhaps, or perhaps you've gone through seasons of suffering but are not in one of those seasons now. Are you willing to actively display faith in God like Ruth and come alongside a tired and weary saint? Brothers and sisters, let us be people who point one another to the hope of our Redeemer, point one another to Jesus. Let us remind one another of what Jesus has done and remind one another of what Jesus has promised to do. Let us remember together the simple truths that we sang earlier in the service. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, It's because we have been redeemed that we can boldly approach God's throne in prayer. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for you are our Redeemer. We thank you for sending Christ to redeem us. And Lord, we pray that we would go out into this week living as, as people who have been bought, people who have been redeemed, people who are yours. Lord, would we live in light of our identity in Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.